The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, on my shit list today, Tammy, the gay shirt-wearing Underwood. Say, fabulous, Tam. Hi, everybody. Hi. I'm so giddy. Because <laughs> you because you wore your gay price shirt? No. <laughs> no. She's wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt. Right. I'm pretty sure they got that from your stupidity right now. So as I'm packing a new pack of cigarettes, I have something to tell y'all. Distraught. Why are you distraught? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you here in a second. <sighs> Fucking Jen doll. Okay, so here's what happened. <laughs> there I was. Literally, there I was today, minding my own business. I'm wearing my ducky pajamas. They'll see that. <laughs> because I'm cold as hell. And I'm, I'm telling Angel, my puppy puppy, that I got to get her some jam jams because she's cold too. Yes. Scott made out with his dog this morning. Jen and I both saw it. <laughs> I always give her kisses. I love her. She's old as shit. But um, Jen sent me an early Christmas present. Mm-hmm. I'm just the messenger. So let's go back a little bit. Let's go back several episodes when we talked about skinning your family. A couple months ago, yes. Skinning your family for, for fun and profit. <laughs> that is not what it Whatever was. Whatever the fuck it what? said. <laughs> it was human taxidermy, but okay. Human taxidermy. And I make fun of Jen all the time because you know, you're know you in Florida. You're probably going to skin somebody of freaking nature. Mm, she's just going to skin herself a little bit. She's a fucking freak. So. She had a pig's ear tattooed with the Keith Jesperson tattoo that Keith may, had, had designed for it. It says, uh, Living Doll. Yep. On a pig's ear, and now it's floating in I don't, alcohol or formaldehyde yes. or whatever. No, the rubbing hell. alcohol. 70% rubbing alcohol. Isopropyl alcohol. It is the most macabre it is fucking awesome. <laughs> gift I have ever gotten. Dude, no. Okay. <laughs> I got to stop laughing for a minute. Full backstory though is it was my brother in law's idea. Bob, <laughs> Missy, I gotta tell you all this. Fuck all y'all, okay? <laughs> Fuck all y'all. And then sick ass bastards, man. It came to my house yesterday while my son was there, and I go, "Oh, it arrived early." He goes, "What?" I go, "Oh, you have to see it." And so I took it out and I showed it to him. He goes. Oh, my God, that is gross as fuck, Mom. And I go, really? He goes, let me take a picture of it. Send him to my friend. <laughs> Y'all are freaky-ass people, man. It was funny. <laughs> Y'all but, concern yeah. me. And I'll tell you, Jen concerns me even more because, like, when Jen and I were talking once, she said, well, you know, next time I come out there, I want to go up into uh, up on Mount Hood. I'm all, okay, well, if it's not snowing, yeah, I'll take you up there. That's cool. And she goes, we can look for dead bodies. <laughs> Because, you know, when we think of Mount Hood, we don't think of skiing or Or, hiking or camping. I think about going to search for dead bodies. You know what I think of? The Shining. Well, I go like this. I go, I go, well, you know, hikers do get lost up there. Yeah. So we might find some skeletal remains. It it, it has has happened before. It's just, no, I want to find one that's just been decomposing for just a little while. 
<laughs> oh, gross. What in the hell is wrong with you people? Like, I'm macabre as shit, okay? I like weird shit. Jesus Christ. That is hilarious. All y'all. All y'all need a mental institution. That's what y'all need. That is funny. I can't help it. That was funny. That was, it, Today was funny. It was amazingly funny. Today, I'm just looking at y'all like you're freaks of freaking nature. I've been fired twice already today. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> See if I can do it again. <laughs> that is pretty funny, though. I'm, I got to find a place to, to display... Yes, your macabre collection. My, I'm going to end up with a macabre collection of shit. I might get a tattoo gun and start doing tattoos on pig's ears just to, you know, display Practice? them. Just, just to fucking... It's actually, I mean, I couldn't believe how easy it is to preserve it, you know? It doesn't take Almost much. Almost like, too simple. Nothing grows in rubbing alcohol or formaldehyde or anything like that. Yeah, so... Or was... peroxide. You never see mold on peroxide. This is true. It's a peroxide this bleaches is everything. True. Okay. This is true. Y'all ready to get to this episode today? Yes. All right. Today is the Halloween special. So yes. let's get into it. And we're it. both actually presenting on today's <coughs> episode, just so people don't get confused later. You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. All right. I, I just wanted to make it clear that, you know. Uh, yeah, it was Happy Halloween. Halloween. Happy Halloweeny, everybody, especially you, Jen. I'll give you the Halloweeny anytime. I'm like, more today. <laughs> Move it along. Move I, was it along. I was talking about her husband, Matt, the other day because apparently Poor he got Matt. caught in the driveway doing push ups by the neighbor. <laughs> He's doing push ups so he could get buffed and beat the shit out of you. Dude, no, for real. That's what I, that is exactly what I told Jen. I said, See, he's getting all buffed because he's going to come in here and beat the shit out of me. And here's the thing that's a no win situation. And let me explain why before we even get into this. This is the reason why. Let's say that I beat the ever loving shit out of him. He's way smaller than I am. So people are, oh my God, Scott, why are you beating up on somebody that's way smaller than you? Okay. Let's say that he beats the shit out of me. Oh God, Scott! How did you let somebody so small <laughs> beat the shit out of you? It's no, it, it's lose lose. No matter how I look at it, nope. I there is no winning, no win win for you. There's no winning equation where I come out the victor of the fight in any way, shape, or form. You know what it comes out as? I lose. Either, either I lose by him beating the shit out of me, or I go to prison because I beat the shit out of somebody so small. This is my question, though. Was he playing the Rocky theme in the background when he was doing these push-ups? He might have been. <laughs> so I started making fun of Jen, uh, uh, of him, and I'm like, oh, look at him. He's all muscly. <laughs> and then she's, her, As he's punching cow carcasses. <laughs> her and I are talking. I'm like, tell Matt, tell Matt I think he's hot. Let me feel your muscly muscles, Matt. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor Matt. So strong and muscly. <laughs> Can I feel your pectoral muscles mm. and your strong arms? Oh, take me now, You're Matthew. You're so bad. Take me now. Carry on, wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Okay, are you done? <laughs> Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Oh, and I also want to let you know that I am not the only dumb one. Jen told me about how she rubbed her eye after putting some ointment on her, too. For real. This was yesterday. <laughs> I know. This was yesterday. Her and I are talking, and all of a sudden, I hear, ah, God damn it, it burns. I'm like, 
well, you have a venereal disease? What's, what's happening? She, no, I put this stuff on my hands. It's some kind of like a menthol stuff like you use. And, she, and I just, like an idiot, rub my eye and I'm laughing. I go, oh my God, I got to tell you a story. Squatch did the same fucking thing today. As just I, like, she, she said it was like, she said it was probably within minutes of each other. It was. It, it was fucking, I go, dude, I just had this conversation with Squatch like maybe 15, 20 minutes ago. This is the second time in the last hour that I've had this conversation. This is awesome. Yeah, so I'm not alone. You're never alone. Oh, thank you, Scotty. Carry on. (laughs) Tell me more. Tell me more. Because there's always a zoo waiting for you. (laughs) I knew there was a catch to that one. I I knew you couldn't have been sentimental. (laughs) Oh, I'm mental, all right. I know, but you weren't being sentimental. Oh, my God. Okay, so let's get into the, 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 the episode, shall we? Yes, we shall. All right. <clears throat> I got two of them that I'm going to present today. All right? Uh-huh. This first one here, and I wrote it all out, so I, we don't, I didn't forget where I was. Because wow. I actually stayed up to, to finish this last night. That's why I bugged you at Oh, is o'clock. that why you were messaging me at 1130 yeah, with, last with night? Tammy. I know. As Tammy. soon as I got that first Tammy, I'm like, oh, Tammy. shit. <laughs> You notice that as soon as you said that first, I go, oh, shit. <laughs> that hasn't come out in a long time. Uh, Shaniqua loves you. <sighs> Welcome to Halloween. The only holiday, by the way, boys and girls, that I celebrate. I'm not a fan of Christmas or even my birthday. I don't celebrate that shit. Yeah, okay? we're trying to get you to this lighten the, up a little. This is the one day that you can see werewolves, zombies, and monsters of all kind. Kinds of. And not just the little ones that come begging for candy. Little beggars. Little bastards. I've been locked in my basement, too. <laughs> so dumb. But one of the most iconic monsters uh, throughout all of history. All okay, of history. Is the vampire. Yep. The most famous vampire being Count Dracula. We can all agree mm-hmm. on that, right? Bram Stoker. Right, because when you think of vampires, you, you some people will say, well, there's an uh, interview with a vampire and things like yeah. that. Eh, no, nah, not really. Or... Or even worse, what about Twilight? Ugh, those fuck. Okay, you I like the Twilight, Twilight series. Shit. Don't get me wrong, except for New Moon, that one sucked. Um, but no, that's not your iconic vampire. No, no vampires modern. don't glitter. <laughs> I usually go with Lost Boys. Yeah, Lost Boys, classic, that's good movie, but classic. At the end of the day, you don't see Lost Boys on cereal boxes. You see Count Chocula, which is. Count Dracula. Dude, I, I know. Count Chocula is amazing. Matter of fact, Count Dracula is so famous that he has in, been in countless movies and TV shows made about Dracula himself. Yep. And the lore, the lore varies from Dracula being a bloodthirsty, hell-bent on destruction, you know, type of a vampire to this suave and smooth gentleman who can charm the ladies and make all the other men very envious of him, going, yeah. oh, I want to be like you, Count D. Well, and that's what Bram Stoker's was about, how he was very charming, and wasn't it? Right. Very, yeah. very, uh, you know, charming and everything like that. Um, there's a lot of information that we think is accurate, but is not. So with that said, let's talk Stop, about... Get the deep dive. Let's talk about Count Dracula. Let's do it. So in case you didn't know, by the way, Dracula was actually a real person. Yep. Dracul or Dracula actually means dragon. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I'm sure that you've heard of Vlad the Impaler. Yep. 
Well, Vlad the Impaler was born to Vlad Dracul II between 1428 and 1431. With that said, his surname passed down to his kids, Vlad Dracula III, for example. Okay. 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 So Vlad II, um, and we got to talk about him before we get into what actually drove Vlad uh, Dracul III. I'm trying to adjust my mic. Vlad Dracula III uh-huh. to actually uh, how he got his name and everything like that and where the folklore of him drinking blood actually came from. They're, 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 bear with me, boys and girls. This all plays into it. Okay? It's going to hopefully he'll circle back. Hopefully. I do. I have big circles. Okay. I know. I know. So, okay. Vlad II, right? He's getting these threats from the Ottoman Empire that they were going to invade his kingdom of Lakia. Knowing that, knowing that if the Ottomans invaded, he he would lose everything. Right, his kingdom would be ruined. His people would be slaughtered and enslaved. Mm-hmm. He gave his support. He gave in and gave his support to the Ottoman Turks. The Ottomans decided to invade Hungary, however, and Vlad II changed his alliance to support Hungary instead. Well, after the Ottomans lost the war, Vlad II was called to the capital of Turkey to explain himself for what he had done. And he traveled to Turkey with his two youngest sons, Vlad III, Vlad Dracul, Dr- Dracula III, uh-huh. and his uh, other his youngest youngest son. His name was Radu. Okay. Okay. So when they got there, they're in prison. They're like, "Ha ha! You're an idiot. You came down here. Fuck you. We're imprisoning you." Right. You know, kiss my ass. <laughs> so after about a year, Vlad II was released, and uh, he had to leave Vlad III and Radu. With the Ottoman Turks, and because this gave them leverage to make sure that he's going to do whatever he uh, needs to do. Your son has a problem. I know. Hold on. What? What they do? Uh oh. Okay, we'll discuss that in a second. Sorry, food food deliveries. I was wondering okay. why you got some. Low percent milk over there. I saw that too. I was like, what the fuck is that fucking 2% <laughs> bullshit going on? Anyway. Ew. So, yeah, that's even grosser. All right, right, right. Okay. Water. So, anywho, they they were left there so that way there. Uh, the, the Ottoman king, right, can have le- can have leverage over Wallachia. Because you're not going to do shit and you're going to keep your alliance where it is if your kids are involved. Okay. All right. So. Where the fuck was I? Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't know. Okay, so anyways, you gotta, you gotta, y'all got to keep in mind that Vlad III and Radu were princes in their homeland of Lakia. Okay? Right. The Ottoman Turks continued to raise them as such as princes, and then, you know, they got educated and everything like that. The downside was that Vlad III had a bad attitude towards the Ottoman Turks. I wonder why. It's a fucking mystery. Because you're <laughs> in prison and your dad was in prison, and you're like, fuck these people, right? Right. So with that... Being said, he was often beaten. Redu, he had a little bit different attitude. He kind of got away with a lot of shit, right? They're like, yeah, he's he's an okay guy, but this Vlad the Third, this Dracula guy, he's a dick. Yeah. So after about five years, they're sent back to Vlachia. They're like, okay, get out of here. Okay. Right. So the Vla- their the, their father Vlad the Second was killed while trying to flee south, um, from the Hungarian army. As they invaded his homeland. Mm-hmm. So they got him. They killed him. This is all because of the, the Ottomans. This is what, you know, Vlad III's thinking. Like, fucking, if the Ottomans hadn't have fucked with us, then we wouldn't, you know, my dad wouldn't have died. 
Okay. So I can go on with the history lesson, but I'm going to kind of keep it short, okay? Because this doesn't need to be a 10-hour fucking episode. So Vlad III, Dracula, became the ruler of Wallachia. Um, And he played nice with the Ottomans as he planned a way to get his revenge. And this is where he gets the name Vlad the Impaler, by the way. Okay. For this next part. One Easter, he invited a bunch of families from the Ottoman nobility to his castle to eat Easter dinner. Almost like a peace offering, kind of. Yeah, like, hey, come on up. I am one of you. Like, uh, you know, we're, we're all good. We are family. Come and eat Easter dinner with me. Nothing? nothing? No. Bueller? No. Bueller? I, I got nothing for you on that one. That was kind of, no. So check this out. When they finished their meals, Vlad III had his soldiers come in and capture all the guests that he, had in, that he invited. The children were made into slaves, and the parents were impaled on thick, sharpened poles that were inserted, inserted into their, their assholes, right? Their, uh-huh. their rectums, and exited either through their necks or their mouths. This, and then he left the poles standing up in, in like a really macabre forest, like made a forest of all these bodies. Okay. So the Ottomans, of course, they hear about what happened, that they were killed. They sent up their army to take over, uh, you know, Vlad uh, III. But when they came across this forest of the dead, they turned back. And some say it's uh, because they were. it's really saddened the army to see this nobility all pulled out, I'm right? I'm surprised. I'm pretty sure it probably scared the fuck out of them. And some say that the forest of rotting flesh scared the shit out of them. It would have scared me. I think it's a little bit of both. I think that you're, you're seeing all of your nobility that had been pulled, and then you're seeing this. You're like, okay, look, if this motherfucker's going to do this to a whole bunch of people that he invited up that he, uh, you know, for dinner, what's he going to do to us? Mm, not today, motherfucker. I know, exactly. Not now. <laughs> so where does the vampire come into play? And I'm getting to that. Calm down. Calm the hell down, okay? I you, know you're out you there. You in that beanbag chair. Calm down. God damn, yeah. Quit masturbating. I know my, my voice is sexy, but chill. Please. With the Cheeto hands. So Vlad was a lifelong soldier, right? He was, And it, not only was he a cunning strategist, but he was a good leader of men. Right. <clears throat> the Ottomans were getting their ass handed to them. So were the Hungarians, by the way. Like, keep in mind that Wallachia, way smaller than both the Ottoman Empire and the Hungarians. Right. Okay? These are huge countries, and Wallachia is just a speck on a map. Right. Okay, so that prompted both sides to begin a smear campaign to try to get Vlad's followers to revolt and change sides. Right. One of the stories that's told is that that as his soldiers impaled people, Vlad was seen Dipping his bread into the blood of his victims and eating it. Now, now it must be said though too. Is it? I mean, it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong because you did the research. But isn't this a highly religious area too? Where you know what I mean? It is. It is. Yeah. we're going to get to that oh, okay. in a second. Uh, that that all plays into. Okay. This. So those uh, stories became more and more extreme and included drinking blood of his victims and, and right. being in league with the devil of Satan. <laughs> You must repay it against the devil. (laughs) Church lady, I love her. (laughs) Now, I've said this before. Christianity was a dominant religion at the time with influences, uh, at least there, with 
influences from the Roman Catholics as right. well. Exactly. Okay? Religion is a great way to control people, and Vlad's enemies were using it to their advantage, which right. I don't agree with it, but it is a, it's a really good tactic. It is a good tactic. It's an excellent tactic. Yeah. So Vlad Dracula's body count was rising faster than blood water. So, of course, the propaganda continued. Uh-huh. <clears throat> that fake news crap. Now, here's the best part of this. You ready? Yeah. No one knows exactly where Vlad Dracula's body is buried. See, I knew that, too. There are suspicions that it was buried near a church on an island. Yes. To me, Vlad the Impaler was way more terrifying than Vlad Dracula. Or Count Dracula, the vampire, could ever be. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he... Yeah. I mean, could you imagine that that was his war strategy? <laughs> yeah. Until like, you know what? Like, I'd be terrified. I'd be like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be a soldier anymore. Well, yeah, because, you know, because usually, I mean, because you hear about wars and everything where when they would go in and seize an area that the nobility or whatever were treated, you know, with respect. Yeah, they were imprisoned or whatever, you know, but they were still treated with respect. However, he was like, you know what? No, fuck this. Yeah, you know, Vlad Dracula, he had no fucks to give. He's he like, I none. don't care if you are a peasant or royalty. Fuck yeah. Okay, uh, so. Everybody gets treated equally here. Where the fuck was it? Oh, fuck. I lost my place. Son of a bitch. You were talking about how he was terrifying. Oh, God. I, I had the one on the one hand. I'm just looking. Okay. So, on the one hand, you have a vampire who you would need to invite into your home before he could suck your blood and enslave you. On the other hand, though, you have a soldier that would shove a sharpened pole up your ass and leave you to rot. You might die quickly, but you might not die for several minutes, being left to hang out in a forest of the dead. So sleep tight, my friends, and remember this Halloween night. They don't know where Dracula's body is. So, how do you know that he's really dead? Maybe, maybe, just maybe. He is immortal. There's more to the story than we think. Maybe you'll find out on this night where all manner of things can happen. Why you gotta be all creepy? Because I'm thinking of your mom. Ew. Now you just, ew. And impaling her with my pole. Okay, now we're done. Now we're done. Several times. And we're done. Mm. Joel? Get him, Joel. (laughs) Get him, Joel. (laughs) Do you want to do the next one or do you want me to continue? Um, It's up to you. No, I can go ahead and do mine real quick. Go for it. Yeah, because um, we're because we're sticking with the vampire theme here. Right, right. Because I have a uh, I have a, a folklore one that I'm going to do after you're done. Okay, cool. Well, so sticking with the vampire theme, I'm actually going to cover somebody who was considered a vampire, the vampire of Dusseldorf, Peter Curtin. Now, um, it's he his crimes, the crimes of this one killer, caused so much. Fear and indignation, not only in Germany, but over in, throughout the entire world. Because between February and November 1929, his 
attacks were horrendous. We okay? should have had him at Auschwitz. They, they, he would have helped out tremendously. Would he have? Oh, yes. Yeah, this was before World War II. So. It makes me sad because he could have uh, helped us with the filthy Jews. Right. And the experiments would have gone smoother. He could have kept them in line. Come on, little Jews. Let's get to so the showers. Weird. Okay, so check this out, though. His first murder actually occurred on May 25th, 1913. And it happened in the city of, I think it's pronounced Koln, K-O-L-N. Is yeah, that right? That sounds right. Yeah, well, it's K with the O with the two dots, you know. Anyways. Yeah, so two dots is a hard O. Okay, so Koln. Yeah, okay, there we go. Anyways, so he had been actually he had actually spent that spring just you know randomly burglarizing places. Um, he would target like public bars or inns where you know the owners usually lived upstairs. I like the inns in your mom. And I'm gonna cook. I'm gonna I'm gonna choke you. <laughs> like seriously, choke the shit out of you. I keep asking your mom to do that. She's she's working on strength in her hands. I'm gonna hit you. So that way, then when she's on top. Anyways, he so he broke into <laughs> this in you know in. Basically, these are his own words. He says, I broke into a house in the Wolf Wolfstrasse, an inn owned by Klein, and went up to the first floor. I opened different doors and found nothing worth stealing, but in the bed, I saw a sleeping girl of about 10 covered with a thick feather bed. She was 18. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so he went up to her, wrapped his hands around her neck, and choked her. You know, he said that it took her several minutes before she finally lost consciousness and then he pl- drew her head over the side of the bed and fondled her okay jeez what an asshole yeah and then he says i had a small but sharp pocket knife with me and i held the child's head and cut her throat i heard the blood spurt and drip on the mat beside the bed it spurted in an arch right over my hand the whole thing lasted about three minutes then i went locked the door again and went back home right now the next morning they they said there was hardly any postmortem staining and the tongue and her tongue was bitten from her being choked and on the throat, they found two wounds that were separate. One of them was a shallow wound that was about one to two millimeters deep. And the other one was about nine centimeters long. The upper wound suggested that it was a single stroke, while the, lo- the lower one, the longer one, was made by four strokes. Now, his first victim was actually 10-year-old Christine Klein. She was a schoolgirl in nearby Colm. Her father, Peter, actually owned the inn and... You know, and because of that, the suspicion of the murder landed on his brother, Otto, because the night before his brother came to Peter and asked for a loan. But Peter said no. So Otto left in a rage and he threatened to do something his brother, quote, would remember all his life. Now, when they found the child's body next to her was a handkerchief with the initials PK. So the people automatically assumed that Otto had left it there after he borrowed it from his brother, Peter Klein. Okay? Are you following along so far? I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yeah. Driving my car all over town. Yeah, pretty good, yeah? No, that was not even remotely good. Yeah, you're just jealous because I'm better than the two-pack. Oh, my God. So, anyways, since, you know, the suspicion of Otto being the perpetrator was also heightened by the fact that it it was an otherwise motiveless crime. She had been... 
you know, choked unconscious. Then her throat was cut. But there were also, they also saw the signs of sexual molestation, but she wasn't raped. Therefore, they said that um, he had penetrated her genitals in order to provide an attempt, an apparent motive. So he was actually charged with Christine's murder, but the jury, although partly convinced of his guilt, felt that there was not enough evidence, so he was acquitted. The next day, um, Peter Curtin went back to Mulheim and in a cafe across the street from the Klein's Inn, sat and drank a glass of beer. He later remarked that all around him, people were talking about the murder and, quote, all the horror and indignation did him good. Now, he was safe from capture as and his sadistic impulses had been but his sadistic impulses had been awakened right he had gotten he had whetted his appetite for his bloodlust so wet shut up um the period up until 1921 he spent in prison and then um he went he ended up going into Altenburg and then got married and he seemed to live basically a quiet life he found job working in the factory and he even became politically active in the trade union circles okay so in 1925 he found his way back to Dusseldorf and once again the town proved to be a catalyst for his criminal inclinations he saw Dusseldorf again in the evening light and says he his words rejoice that the sunset was blood red on my return okay now Next, there's a year of terror. The Dusseldorf police were first made aware of the atrocities on February 9th, 1929, when the body of an eight-year-old girl named Rosa Oliger was found under a hedge. She had been stabbed 13 times and an attempt had been made to burn her body with gasoline. The murderer also stabbed her in her vagina and left seminal stains on, the, on her pants in, that indicated that he had experienced some you know, like premature ejaculation type thing. Now, there were essential factors to consider for the diagnosis of the cause and time of death, as well as for the motive for her being killed. Um, there were the characteristic stabs, the congestion of blood that was found in the head, and the injury to the genitalia. But from those considerations, one may assume that Peter's objective had not been the sex, Right. But he must have inserted a finger smeared with semen under the unopened, you know, uh, waistband of her pants and thus and then inserted that finger into her vaginal area. Now, six days before that, a man actually um, attacked a woman, grabbed her, you know, by her um, by her collar and stabbed her repeatedly. Her name was Frau Kuhn. She suffered 24 I'm wounds. I'm sorry. Did you say Frau Kuhn? <laughs> Frau Kuhn. K-U-H-N. Frau. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I couldn't have said that and you couldn't just blow over it, could you? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Anyways, the man stabbed her 24 times before he ran off. Now, as you can imagine that he had this, the act of stabbing somebody became his um, sadist, you know, how do I put it? It it was his fetish, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've talked about it before because remember, what's his name? Um, Andre Ticolato. Ticotillo. We we see that a lot in in different serial killers, though, where, where, where 
sex is involved, and it doesn't always mean like rape or penetration, you know, with genitalia. Um, but a sexual act is involved, like some are into fondling. Yes. Or, you know, some are into, uh, I don't know, cutting off nipples. Yes. I mean, but there's there's always something that, that kind right. of revolves around it. So this is nothing different. Right. But then he was also sexually stimulated by his crimes when he returned to the scene of them later. He said, the place where I attacked Frau Kuhn, I visited again that same evening twice and later several times. In doing so, I sometimes had an orgasm. When that, mor- that, that morning I poured petrol over the child Oliger and set fire to her, I had an orgasm at the height of the fire. Jesus I know, Christ. sadistic what bastard. The hell, huh? man. I mean, I would have loved to interview this guy. Like, no. for, this guy makes some of the people that we've spoken to look like they are saints. I was going to say, like choir boys, right? Makes a Green River killer, Gary Ridgway, look like he is a fucking saint. Yes. <laughs> like Jerry Brudos was a saint. Remember yeah. the guy who cut off the boobs and tried to make paperweights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Jesus Christ, what a fucking freak. Exactly. So five days after he murdered Rosa... A 45-year-old mechanic named Shear was found stabbed to death on the road in Flinger. He, had, he was stabbed 20 times, including several times to the head. Then the next day, Peter again returned to the scene of his attack and even had the audacity to talk to a police officer, a detective, on the site. Although he seemed suspicious, the policeman clearly had no reason for concern and spoke frankly about the crime. And so basically it was... You know, Frank the, is in the name of Frank is in the, the German currency no, of the time. spoke frankly about the crime as in he was very... He, I know. He, okay, I thought you didn't <laughs> understand what I was saying here. And I didn't want to have to mansplain to you, you know, because that's man-explaining. Yeah, I always have to remind you that mansplaining means man-explaining. You may continue. I give you permission. Anyways, shortly, a short time later... And this is, I have, I kept the wording the same. Short time later, an idiot named Strasberg was arrested for assaulting two women with a noose. So naturally, the police assumed he was the one for the February, responsible out. for the attacks. I'm Can assuming they made it simple, but the phrase. No, <laughs> he attacked him with a noose? <laughs> he tried to, yeah, strangle them? Like, that, not, okay, <laughs> I, okay, here's the thing. Uh, if, he, if they would have said, uh, hey, this idiot tried to strangle him. I'd be okay. Dude, they but called him an idiot. <laughs> because he's using an actual noose. He's like, I'm the hangman. I'm here for you. I tied a noose. I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Germany, fucking A, get your shit together. Because we have idiots here in the U.S., but nobody that I've ever heard of, ever, fucking in the history of ever, has tied a noose and go, <sighs> I'm going to attack somebody with a noose. <laughs> We've heard strangulations, but that's yeah, no, next he, yeah, level. He assaulted them with a noose. And here's the, th- here's the thing. If somebody comes at you and they've got like a piece of rope in their hand, you're like, okay, person's got a rope. If they got a full-on fucking noose, you're like, not today, motherfucker. No. Yeah. Because that's, a, that's a, even back then, that's a big red flag. You're like, there's got to be a reason why you're carrying that noose. Yeah. You're coming towards me. Kiss my ass. <laughs> uh, adios, pichachos. <laughs> Adios, bitch nachos. So this is what I think. I mean, because, you know, so uh, so naturally, I mean, it would go with the saying that when he was picked up for these crimes, the police would act 
actually even questioned him about the February crimes, right? Saying, hey, were you responsible? Well, apparently there was no coercion on their part. He just said, yep, I did it. Right. And I nobody knows myself. why. Nobody knows why he confessed to those stabbings. However, he wasn't found, you know, they didn't charge him with murder. They just put him in a loony bin. And so it was that because he um, confessed to those crimes, there was nobody looking for the real killer. Like OJ. Right. I, 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 okay. No, I feel bad for him now because, you know, they were all after OJ. Nobody was looking for the. Real, because if the gloves don't fit, you must quit. quit. I won't lie. I actually I'll said that to somebody yesterday, right? Because <laughs> we, I was talking to somebody about the Casey Anthony thing, and they go, "If I was ever in trouble, I'd want Jose Baez to try." I said, "Only if you're willing to sleep with him." I said, "Or you could always go with the Johnny Cochran. If it doesn't fit, you must quit." Line. <laughs> That's right. See, Yana, if the glove don't fit, you must quit. I won't lie. I testify. Oh. Kiss myself. <laughs> I'm the hardest working man in the uh, in the law business. Ha! Why do you make him sound now. like Rick James? <laughs> I'm surprised that Cochran didn't turn around and go, because I'm Rick James, bitch. And do the splits and bounce yep. back up. That's right. Ha! I'm going to sit there and kiss myself. <laughs> little James Brown going on. Right? So in August that year, I, there were a series of strangulation and stabbing incidences that made the police well aware that they had a madman on the prowl. On the 21st of August, it was in western suburb of Larenfield that three people were stabbed while they were walking home at night. The three random victims were all just saying good evening. They, somebody just said good evening to them before they were su- stabbed with a knife to their ribs and back. As the lights went out, as you know, the night hit on the evening of the 23rd of August, hundreds of people were enjoying the annual fair in the ancient town of Flay. And around 1030 that night, two foster sisters, a five-year-old Gertrude Hamaker and 14-year-old Louise Lanzen, left the fair, started walking through the uh, streets to their homes. As they did, a man stepped from the shadows and followed them behind them. The shadow stopped the children. You know, when they saw the shadow, they stopped and asked whether Louise would be very kind and get some cigarettes for me. I'll look after the little girl is what this man said. So Louise took the man's money and ran back towards the fairgrounds. The man picked up the young girl, the Gertrude, in his arms and strangled her before he cut her throat with a clasp knife. Louise returned a few moments later, and she was drugged off the path and strangled and decapitated. Then the next afternoon, a servant girl by the name of Gertrude Schulte was accosted by a man who tried to persuade her to have sexual intercourse with him. When she looked at him and said, I'd rather die, he said, then die, and stabbed her. Fortunately, though, she survived the the attack, and she gave a good description of her attacker and he gave her options so i'm just <laughs> saying know? that's kind of mighty wide of him you know given given some options there okay fine die you, you, <laughs> you, you, know? you chose door two that's cool <laughs> what's behind door number two death now, according to peter he said that this was around the time when his sexual se- his sexual impulsivities went into overdrive and they became more frequent and more vicious as the attacks went on um 
it, some have said that that's also the time when he lost control of his, his sadistic impulses. The next victim was a young girl named Ida Reuter. She was raped and beaten to death in September. And on the 12th of October, another servant by the name of by the name of Elizabeth Dorer was beaten to death. This was followed by a series of hammer attacks on Frau Moore and Frau Wanders. Both of them occurred on the 25th of October. Now, I knew several Fraus that wandered all the time. I'm they sure they wander did. here, they wander there, they wander, <laughs> wander everywhere. <laughs> You're so weird. Hello, wandering Frau. <laughs> You're Guten so Tagen. <laughs> Guten Tagen, huh? Anyways, so as you can imagine, the entire community of Dusseldorf was in a panic that almost superseded what they, what you know, England felt with Jack the Ripper, right? As the right, it makes sense, yeah. yeah. As the murders began to mount, and nobody knows what the hell's going on. Then on November seventh, five year old, a five year old girl by the name of Gertrude Alberman went missing, and two days later, the newspaper received a letter with a map stating that the child's body would be found near a factory wall. The body was found where the killer described amongst a mass of bricks and rubble. She'd been strangled and stabbed 35 times. Here's my biggest issue. I My biggest issue is that he's attacking kids. Like, seriously, if he, if he was just attacking adults... Like Jack the Ripper did? Like yeah. Jack the Ripper... I'd be like, okay, no, it's fucked up. Don't get me wrong. You shouldn't rape right. anybody, nothing like that. But you're attacking kids, so, dude, you're a piece of shit. Like, right. for real, it's just a total fucking piece of garbage. And I know by now he's dead, which, thank- thankfully, but I would seriously, I would I, I would piss on his corpse and right. shit on it. And fucking attacking kids, man. That's, that's, that, that's where I draw the line. Right. Well, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And then beginning from February to May of 1930, there was even more, you know, uh, attacks where strangulation or hammer was used. However, none of those were fatal. Now, you can imagine that there was an enormous manhunt, right, trying to find who this killer was. And because nobody had been apprehended yet, the community was in an uproar. Where, But then... Even though the motives may have been similar, he was constantly changing the means with which he did the attacks, so there was no clear pattern for the pe- police to investigate. Now, by the end, by the end of May 1930, Dusseldorf was in a sheer terror because the vampire was still on the loose. Now, as we see a lot with serial crime, the capture of the killer happened almost by chance okay on the 14th of may 1930 an unemployed domestic servant named maria oh my god i don't even want to say this name and i knew it was coming up budlick <laughs> the cathedral city of coal in search of work in Actually, i wonder if your mom would like that so she was standing on the platform of the train station when she was accosted by a man who offered to show her the way to the girls' hostel, right? And, and to show her his pee-pee. 
Anyways, so they walked along the brightly lit streets for a while, but then he started leading her towards the park. She suddenly remembered that there were newspaper stories of a murderer, and she, like, stopped dead in her tracks and said, nope, I ain't going no further with you. Smart girl. Yeah. He insisted, and it was while they were (laughs) arguing that another man came and asked whether everything was all right. Clearly, both people were upset and intimidated by the newcomer's arrival. The man from the railway station walked away. Um, anyways, the man from the railway station just turned around and walked away. Okay? Excuse me, wandering frau. Are you okay? Are you a butt lick? I will leave now. Bud lick. I, I will show myself out. Anyways, thank you. Anyways, so you would think that the guy from the train station that walked away was Peter, right? No. Yeah, no. That was the re- he was the rescuer. He says these are his words. The girl told me that she was out of work and had nowhere to go. She agreed to come with me to my room uh, on the Met- Mannerstrasse, and then she suddenly said she did not want sexual intercourse and asked me whether I could find her somewhere else to sleep. They went. They took the train uh, into I don't even know how to pronounce this Warringer Plots and walked deeper into the Grafenberger Woods, where Peter sees her by the hand with one hand by the neck and asked her where he could have her or asked her whether he could have her he said i thought that under the circumstances she would agree and my opinion was right afterwards i took her back to the tram but i did not accompany her right to it because i was afraid she might inform the police officer who was standing there i had no intention of killing her she had offered as she had offered no resistance he was according to reports he was calm and collected throughout this entire scenario and made sure that no one at the train station saw him take the girl back there. He said, I did not think that Budlick would be able to find her way back to my apartment in the rather obscure area. So much, so much the more was I surprised when on Wednesday, the 21st of May, I saw her again in my house. Now, contrary to his I'm beliefs, back for your Dusseldorf <laughs> of love. Anyways, you're so weird. Man, that must be, I'm just saying, it must be good dick if she's showing back up. Like, like, hello, I'm the wandering frau. You're so I'm here for a little bud lick. I, I don't even know what to say to you. Lick my bud of love. No. Oh, my God. I hate you. Anyways, as I was saying. But contrary to what he believed, she actually remembered the address because she vividly recalled seeing the street sign under the, ga- the flickering lights. More crucially, however, Maria wrote of her encounter in a letter on the 17th of May to one Frau Bruckner. The letter never reached its intended recipient. It was misdirected and opened by a woman named Frau Brugman, who took one look at the contents and called the police. Maria Budlick was immediately located and questioned by the authorities. After a long time and some hesitation, she finally led Chief Inspector Gannat into the hallway of number 71 Montman Strauss. I'm Gannat here, and he's Gannat there. We're Gannat, Gannat anywhere. Oh, my God. Now, the landlady promptly ushered them into an empty room, which Budlick immediately re- recognized, and it was soon established that a man by the name of Peter Curtin occupied that premises. While at the house, Fraulein Budlick, I just hate saying her name, encountered even more conclusive proof that her attacker entered the house and began climbing the stairs towards her. He looked briefly startled, right? It's like, oh, crap. Why is she here? 
plus on top of that, she heard, right? But even though he was startled, he was like, oh shit. But he like walked up to his room and shut the door. A couple minutes later, he left with his hat pulled down over his eyes, walked by two men in plain clothes standing in the street and disappeared around the corner. Now, that was when he realized, hey, it's inevitable. I'm going to jail, right? He chose to explain this case, what happened with Maria Budlick to his wife as an attempt of sexual intercourse could be considered as rape along with his previous convictions. He was sure that it would could be enough to ensure that he got only 15 years in the penal colony, right? Throughout the night, he says, throughout the night, I walked about. On Thursday, the 22nd of May, I saw my wife in the morning in the flat and so fetched my things away in a bag and rented a room in the Alderstrasse. I slept quietly until Friday morning. Up to that point, nothing linked him to any of the attacks committed by the vampire. His only crime was he was suspected of rape. But he knew now that there was no longer any hope that he could conceal his identity. And he describes it like this. Today, the 23rd in the morning, I told my wife that I was also responsible for the Schulte affair, adding my usual remark that it would mean 10 years or more separation for us, probably forever. At that, my wife was inconsolable. She spoke of unemployment, lack of means and starvation and old age, and she raved that I should take my life. Then she would do the same, since her future was completely without hope. Then, in the late afternoon, I told my wife that I could help her. He proceeded to tell his wife that he was the infamous Dusseldorf vampire and disclosed every murder to her in detail. Then he hinted that a high reward had been offered for, the, you know, for turning this vampire in. And she could report the confession and denounce him to the police. He said, of course, it wasn't easy for me to convince her that this ought not to be considered as treason, but that on the contrary, she was doing a good deed to humanity as well as to justice. It was not until late in the evening that she promised to carry out my request and also that she would not commit suicide. It was 11 o'clock when we left each other back in my lodging. I went to bed and fell asleep on May 24th. Peter's wife told the story, went to the police and told them the story, adding that she had arranged to meet her husband outside a church at three o'clock. By that time, the whole area had been surrounded by four officers who rushed forward with loaded guns as soon as he appeared. And then I guess as soon as he appeared, he looked at the cops, smiled and said, you know, there's no reason for you guys to be afraid. Here I am, basically. Right. So, um. Then we go on that once he was under arrest, he actually talked to a guy, a professor, Carl Berg, who was a German psychologist and was very, provided great detail on what happened when his crime, during his crimes. Now, um, Professor Berg actually wrote a book called The Sadist. He was successful in, you know, gaining Peter's confidence and provided a fascinating insight into the mind of a killer. Um, He noted that Peter's memory was had he had extreme clarity and vividness with which he preserved the details of each crime. And that gave him a measure of gratification in the act as well because he could relive them. And when he dealt with matters that had no emotional value for him, his memory was often highly defective and flawed. You know, does that make sense? It does. It does. I'm okay. paying attention. This is actually very interesting. I know, isn't it? So, 
when he went on about his offenses, it the Peter's I mean not Peter, Professor Carl Berg said that when Peter went on and like talked about his offenses, it was astounding. He was not accused of these crimes one by one, but reeled of his own account, beginning with number one and ending with number seventy nine. Every single case he dictated to a stenographer, and Peter even showed enjoyment at the horrified faces of the officers that listened to his his uh, confession. So such then its so-called great confession attributed to Peter after his arrest. The fullness and accuracy of the disclosure naturally awoke doubts as to whether it was true or not, aside from the occasional and perhaps understandable mistruth. A vast majority of his salient statements were adhered to in discussions with the, with the judge and later with Professor Burke. Now, Peter himself recognized the obvious skepticism regarding his confession and took time to describe each crime as precisely as he could to Professor Burke. He said it was very easy to describe crimes one has not committed. One could scarcely credit that a confession could be founded on very full newspaper reports and yet be simply an invention. To that extent, I quite understood, understand your doubts, Professor. Now, his over, Peter said his overriding motivation to explain his wrongs was not through a feeling of guilt or repentance, but he wanted to secure a future for his wife, a financial future for his wife. Okay. All right. No, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there was a consistently high regard paid to his wife throughout this whole ordeal. And it's one of the more fascinating aspects of this case. And it contradicts much, much of what we know about his persona altogether. Because even though he was unfaithful throughout his marriage, he was still very fond of her. And he wanted to ensure that she would be taken care of in the future. He said, I had already finished with my life when I first knew the police were on my track. I wanted to fix up for my wife a carefree old age, so she is, for she is entitled to at least a part of the reward. That is why I entered a plea of guilty to all crimes. Right? So he was charged with a total of nine murders, seven attempted murders, and thus launched the trial of the Dusseldorf vampire, which began on April 13, 1931. Now, he was... <laughs> they had built a special shoulder high cage and put it in the courtroom to prevent him from escaping. And behind it was arranged some of, uh, uh, they had also laid out some of the evidence that they had, right? Almost like a museum to him. There were skulls of his victims, body parts displaying the injuries inflicted by him, and each was meticulously presented in a chronological fashion. There was knives, rope, scissors, and hammers were on display, along with many articles of clothing and a shovel he had used to bury one woman. It was indeed a macabre exhibit, right? Home Depot came in. They did a painter's <laughs> uh, you know, class on there and right? had to frame a house. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yes. So what, according to reports, the crowd was, was initially shocked when Peter walked into the courtroom because they expected to see, you know, an unkempt monster. But he was dressed with this immaculate suit and his hair was nicely combed and he looked like he was a businessman. So he spoke quietly in a matter of fact tones and he initially denied that he had made that earlier confession and pled not guilty to the judge 
He had, he said, confessed to the crimes on the first occasion only to secure the reward for my wife. Even though, even though thoroughly persistent, Peter was eventually broken down by the judge and after two months reverted to his full confession again. Now, the seriousness of, seriousness of his crimes was more monstrous than anyone could possibly imagine. Yet the most brilliant doctors in Germany testified that he had been perfectly responsible for his actions at all times. So, you know, of course, he wasn't found not guilty by reason of insanity, right? His motive was clear from the beginning. He wanted to revenge himself on society for the wrongs he had suffered in prison years before. In answer to the judge's question as to whether he had a conscience, Peter himself replied, I have none. Never have I felt any misgiving in my soul. Never did I think to myself that what I did was bad, even though human society condemns it. My blood and the blood of my victims will be on the heads of my torturers. There must be a higher being who gave, who gave in the first place the first vital spark to life. That higher being would deem my actions good since I revenged injustice. The punishments I have suffered have destroyed all my feelings as a human being. That was why I had no pity for my victims. Now, I have something to say about that. I could agree with his statements if his victims weren't children. Yeah, and that's me. I, if, if, if he was like, uh, kind of like Todd, uh-huh. I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm cool with that. But you attack kids, so guess what? You know, fuck yourself. Right. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, because he was, like I said, he talked in these quiet tones, like unemotional voice. And he would describe a life in which he... There were a series of factors from hereditary to environment, the faults of the German penal system that had all conspired against him to bring out and foster his sadistic side. And he said that was when the real Peter was born. The court became the people in the courtroom were hypnotized with his revelations. And at one point, um, he described his thoughts on how to cause accidents involving thousands of people with no so for, he didn't restrain himself at all. He went into great detail. He said, I derive the sort of uh, the sort of pleasure from these visions that other people would get from thinking about a naked woman. So it like brought him sexual satisfaction, right? Mm-hmm. Now he went also went on to describe his killings. Each individual incident was presented um, with organized efficiency that had never been seen before in a criminal trial. This confession was so damning that the prosecutor barely, hardly even stood up to present evidence. They did, he just let him talk. Now, the d- defense counsel had the task of trying to prove insanity in the face of unbreakable evidence from the many distinguished psychiatrists. Um, according to reporting, it says, the man Curtin is a riddle to me. This is the uh, defense counsel talking. The man Curtin is a riddle to me. I cannot solve it. The criminal Harmon only killed men. Landru and Grossman only women. But Peter killed men, women, children, and animals. He killed anything he found. Actually, he would have said hair. What? Hair Peter. Okay. Not, Not the man. Hair. Okay. I said Harmon and Grossman. Why are you getting Hairman? No, not Hairman. He oh. would have said Hair Peter. 
Oh, I got you. I got you. Okay. I was like, what like are you Frau, talking about? Frau is a woman. I know. I get it now. Hair is it. a man. Okay. I get it now because I was like, what are you fucking talking about? Hair. I didn't say hair. Fucking okay. uncultured people. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Educated. That is because <laughs> you should have been there at Auschwitz with us. So that way there, Miss Dami, you could help us with the dirty Jews. Get into the showers. Now, check this out. I'm a little disappointed because the jury was deliberated for one and a half hours before they reached a unanimous verdict of guilty on all counts. Now, you can imagine that the self, the Peter kept, you know, going on and on and on when he was talking and everything. Right. So finally, the presiding judge said, you know what? Shut the fuck up. You, you have you're getting the death penalty nine times. <laughs> and. After that was said, Peter got up in dignified fashion and didn't challenge the judgment, nor did he try to even feign remorse. He did, however, note every discrepancy in the accounts of the witnesses and protested against the observations of the experts, which were not, in his opinion, wholly accurate. Then on July 2nd, 1932, the Dusseldorf vampire went to his death at a guillotine that was erected in the yard of the prison. Now, he expressed his he expressed his last earthly desire on his way to the guillotine. He said, tell me, he asked the prison psychiatrist, after my head has been chopped off, will I still be able to hear, at least for a moment, the sound of my own blood gushing from the stump of my neck? He savored that thought, then said, that would be the pleasure to end all pleasures. Jesus. Isn't that disgusting? That's fucking gross as shit. I know. But, yeah, so that's the vampire of Dusseldorf. All right. We're going to get into mine. Okay. All right. It's my turn again, right? Yep. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. So this next part is actually true folklore. Okay. This one here, I'm calling it. It's called the Alice Murders. Okay. Okay. And I came across this urban legend, and I thought it would take, uh, that I'd take a deeper look at it, right? And this uh -huh. urban legend comes out of Japan. And is retold through the inter through internet stories over and over again. With that said, however, I found what I think is the cause of this urban legend, uh, and and some truth to it. There's actually some truth. Oh, so you think you trace this urban legend back to the source? Yeah, I did. I think I did. Okay, so the story goes like this, right? Mm -hmm. Between 1999 and 2005 in Japan, there was a madman, a serial killer on the loose. Uh huh. He would murder his victims using different methods and leaving a playing card behind. His first, his first victim, his first victim, <laughs> was a 29-year-old restaurant owner. And she was attacked <clears throat> uh, as she walked home after, uh, you know, from a restaurant at night. Mm -hmm. This animal had torn her apart, leaving pieces of her scattered all over the place, even up in the trees. And near where she was killed, they found a playing card with the name Alice written on it in her blood. Ugh. Dun, 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 dun. And keep in mind, all these victims, no names. We're going to get to that, though. Okay. So the next victim uh, was a singer in a band. The security cameras allegedly caught an image of a hooded figure follow him into his apartment and then leaving a while later with a large trash bag. The singer had been shot in the head, and his vocal cords had been cut. Ugh. Then this killer left his 
body next to one of the clubs that our victim sang at. And near his body was a playing card with the name Alice written on it in the victim's blood. Don't be creepy. Then the next victim was a teenage girl. She was found in a shallow grave. Her body had been mutilated. Her eyes had been cut out of her head. And a crown was sewn onto her head. (gasps) And then there was a playing card left behind with the name Alice written in her blood as well. (laughs) The final two victims were twins. Small children, in fact. Our killer was more merciful to them, however. He injected them with poison. They found a playing card that had been torn in two with the name Alice written in each of the children's blood on each half of the card. (laughs) Death to the children. None of this can be substantiated, by the way. None of these stories have been verified. There's no names, nothing, right? Okay, so it's kind of like the man with the hook story. Right, right. Okay, gotcha. But... There is a real-life serial killer who left playing cards behind, and his name was Alfredo Galane. He was born April 5th of 1978 in Spain. Galane from Spain. And he killed in Spain for a short time in 2003, and he was caught in that same year, 2003. He shot six victims, leaving behind a playing card at each place that he killed. Okay. That earned him the name the playing card killer, and he was given 142 years in prison. I feel that this is where the Japanese urban legend actually comes from. It probably did, and then they expanded on it to frighten children. And that's what I said, you know, as it's, as it's retold person to person and posts on outlet right. like Creepypasta and Facebook, etc. Right. The story begins to take on a feeling of truth. Oh, yeah, a, a lot of them do. But while there is truth in the playing card aspect, Alfredo didn't dismember his victims. He shot them. Did he write on the cards? No. He just oh, left, okay. left the, he would leave a playing card behind. How bizarre. And of course there's there's variances in, in what uh playing cards were left behind in, in like with, with Alfredo, I think it was just regular a deck of playing cards, but with the uh with the urban legend, it was like it was the two of cups or the three of cups and da da. Oh, so tarot cards. Yeah, that's that that type of a thing. And it varies. Like some say right. it was tarot, some say it was a regular deck of like he left an ace of spades type right, of bullshit thing. Right. So I thought that I would throw that in there as that, just a little Well, you know, in urban legends always have that spark that it could be true because as it's told over and over again, so the storyteller will usually start it off by saying, my cousin knew, so, you know, type thing to make it personal. Right. And, well, so. there's always a little hint of truth to urban legends. And oh, yeah. For example, like um, the man in the back seat of the car. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, to this day, I always look in the back of my car, even in broad daylight before I get because in. Because it has happened. Uh-huh. Um, that, that was actually, <laughs> like I believe it was a gang initiation. Yeah. Where they were like uh, whoever wanted to be in, initiated into like certain gangs would hide in someone's car and then rob them or kill them. Mm-hmm. So that became like there was a man with a hook wearing a cloak, well, a hooded cloak, and the one with the hook and everything with the car was Lovers Lane murders, based off. Remember? Yeah, because you covered that case a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, mean, that was the uh, yeah the, the sun- Texarkana yeah the sundown yeah. murders or something like that. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. 
And it, so there, oh, there is always that, you know, hint of truth to them. They just get expanded upon. I mean, back in our day, they called them campfire stories. Well, it, it's it's like playing a telephone game, and I brought oh, this yeah. up before when we were kids. Um, you know, you get one person that whispers, um, like the the teacher will whisper something in the first person's ear, like like the cat is brown, right? So then that person whispers it to the next person, and he'll say like, um, uh, the car is brown. And by the time it gets to the end of like twenty kids, right? It's totally different. It's it's not even yeah. remotely close. It's yeah. like, it, it, it's something like the elephant tramples through the woods. Yeah, or yeah, the purple gopher. You know, the purple yeah. gopher says, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's always yeah. But I always, I mean, urban legend. I love the you know movie series, urban legends. Yeah, there's two of them. It? Yeah, We're, I thought there were three. Maybe there's a three. I could be wrong. I am in love with the redhead from Urban Legend. I'm one sure you are. Because she has giant boobs and she's fucking hot. Who was that? I can't remember. I can't remember. I've seen her on a few TV shows. She always kind of covers up her boobs. She wears really loose fitting clothes. But I can tell she's got big boobs. And uh, I would do very naughty things for her. Just like the singer Tori Amos. Oh, yes. I'm in love with her too. Yes. She can sing to me anytime and I would let her do anything to me. Because goddamn. Hmm. Gorgeous. Just gorgeous. I'm pretty sure Drew Barrymore just got mad at you, but okay. She still has a restraining order. So, you know what, Drew? <laughs> you lift that restraining order, you might get in my, in my Is good Is that how you got her autograph? <laughs> On my penis. <laughs> Stop that. She got my autograph. I teabagged her. You're so bad. So bad. Keep waiting to see her at an industry party. Yeah, then, she she purposely checks the guest list before she RSVPs because I like, know if he was invited, eh, ain't gonna no, happen. There's a restraining order. I can't go. Yeah, great. Thanks. No, Lift that restraining order, baby. Come on. Tell you what, I would give anything to meet Donnie Wahlberg or Drew Carey. Big, Those are mine. Big Daddy needs some love and Drew. Come on. You're so bad. You ready to wrap this one up? I I was like an hour ago when you first started speaking. (laughs) Remember, boys and girls, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crombeat on Medium, and wherever you happen to be getting your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. A big shout out to Gino Wright, who he's contributing stuff to our yeah, thing all the time. Funny yeah. as hell, man. Very. Good job, Gina. That's just, it, it cracks me up. I might... Some of his things crack me up, too. I'm thinking, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Good feller. I'm assuming you're a feller. I don't know. I just I think might so. Be a chick. I, I don't know. So. You know. Well, whatever you identify as, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I, I, welcome. Welcome to the group. Yeah, just welcome. Just because you, you, you rock, buddy. You rock. Yeah. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And remember, if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast except for Metal Cross Radio, they're lying, thieving bastards. bastards. And we will talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.